the takeaway here is we're doing a so-called basic CTF and you've already, that kind of way of thinking and looking at code seems to be applicable to the real world. Is, is that right? Yeah. At the When you drill it down to the core, there is still curiosity and the inquisitive mind and kind of that problem solving attitude. Those are really instilled in you for capture the flag and war games and all of this. I know in the moment, sometimes it sucks. Like you're, you're banging your head against the wall. You have this problem in front of you and you, you can't solve it. <laughs> You've been beating yourself up for a day or a week, but you still, you can't sleep. You're thinking about it. You're obsessed with this problem. <laughs> and you, I don't know, <laughs> it, it, it builds in that grit and determination and stubbornness to let's think about this. Let's try and solve this problem. Let's, let's be curious as to how it does what it does. Um, those are all things you'll definitely get in Capture the Flag. You can get so much closer to the wire in, in Linux and using the command line. So I, I would absolutely recommend that. Hey everyone, David Bumble back with John. John, we spoke previously about CTFs. We did some theory type stuff, but I'm hoping now that we can jump into some practical demonstrations because you're well known for that. So welcome. Thanks so much. Yeah, I, uh, I would love to showcase some cool stuff here. Uh, I, I realize that, hey, we're all kind of coming and approaching this at different levels. So I, I think it might be good to start with some beginner-friendly stuff, something that's uh, very, I don't know, off, get, you, get your feet wet and kind of get you in motion. So That'd be great. So go for it. I'm going to keep quiet and you know, take it away. Okay. So I am online here at picoctf.org. And this is kind of one of the capture the flag competitions that I had mentioned in our, in our previous conversation, David. It's a, hey, PicoCTF, let learning happen through exploration. So I, I mentioned, yeah, middle school and high school students, but that's not meant to dissuade you one way or another. Um, PicoCTF is, is super beginner friendly. It's great for getting started and just kind of learning and exploring this sort of thing. Um, it's a capture the flag and it's meant to be hands-on, but... It's all about learning and having fun. So I'm gonna go ahead and log in. Um, I should be hooked up with LastPass here. So you mentioned last time that they run this once a year, but you can access these labs anytime, is that right? Yes. So Pico CTF 2021 just actually wrapped up. The game was from March 16th to March 30th, but the environment, the infrastructure will still always be online and accessible. I think, I'm not actually positive, but there's the competition from Pico CTF 2019 is still up and about. And you'll, you'll find challenges online from the 2018 game or the 2017 game. So they do a great job of making sure this stuff can, can stay accessible for folks. That's great. So I am logged in inside of their game environment. And uh, forgive me, some of these uh, kind of challenge tiles or these cards here, they look a little grayed out <laughs> because I've... I had to play myself, right? I gotta be true to form here. So I, I'd love to showcase a couple of these, again, kind of more beginner friendly ones. Uh, we could start off with the very, very top, just to kind of get your feet wet. Uh, I will go ahead and download this file and it's simply titled flag. I will hop over to the command line or I'm working in Linux right now. Truthfully, I, I, I love Linux and I think that's a great place to learn. I have a Ubuntu virtual machine set up. So uh, I've got to ask you the question, your favorite distro 
Yeah, I like Ubuntu personally. Uh, it's just easy. It, it works, and it has a great community. <laughs> and you, do you run that as your as your physical machine, or are you running that in a VM on a Mac or something? Uh, I all of my laptops I have Linux installed bare metal, just on the drive itself. Um, on my desktop PC, what I'm using to have this conversation right now, it, it is running Windows on the host, and I have a couple other virtual machines living through VirtualBox. So right now, this is a, a VM. That's great. So I have downloaded that flag file and I use the MV or move command to move it from the downloads out of my home directory into this current directory, kind of with the period notation here. So now I simply have a flag file. If I were to LS, display that out in my current directory and I'll use the cat command to cat it out or display it onto my terminal screen or the output. So we're greeted with this text Pico CTF, curly braces, and kind of some leet speak here, <laughs> sanity verified, and some other numbers and letters. Uh, now, this is the bare bone basics, right? This is just, hey, are you a real human being? Here's a sanity check. Can you download and just look at this file? This is a flag that proves, hey, we've accomplished the task, and they often follow this flag format. That's how you, you know what you're looking for, right? It's not just a needle in a haystack. It follows some standard structure. Pico CTF with curly braces and some text in between. So we could go ahead and submit that. And hooray, I've solved that challenge correctly again. Super duper simple, right? <laughs> That's the, the top of the iceberg here. But there's so much more we could do. Uh, I think information is a great one to kind of keep us cruising. The description here, hey, files can always be changed in a secret way. Can you find the flag? And now I have a JPEG or an image file to download. You can see they do offer some hints. And again, there's no risk. There's no shame in taking a look at some of these. It's all about learning, isn't it? So I mean, yeah, if, if you, you can't expect to, you can't expect to run if you can't crawl. So I think it's sad that we lose that when we grow up. Um, Often we lose that. I mean, there's no shame in, in if you're new to something, just, you know, crawling, walking, running. I will repeatedly say like, hey, I'm a kid at heart and uh, I'm always learning too. <laughs> I'll be 50 years old or older and I'll be, man, I'm still a beginner. So. Exactly. So I got this cute picture of a cat open up <laughs> and we want to kind of understand, okay, really what? is in this. Is there a flag hidden somewhere? I think I see some text over on the side, but we're more interested in how this file is really put together. Uh, I'll go back to my terminal here. And once again, I'll move that downloaded cat.jpg into this current directory. And I could run the file command to kind of understand really what is this file. It tells me, hey, it's a JPEG image. We kind of knew from the file extension, but just to make sure, just to verify, because that file extension could be trying to deceive us. And then we could do some reconnaissance or kind of understand really what is this file made out of. When we tried to cat that flag file earlier, when we displayed that out on the screen, it's just plain text. And that's easily visible and human readable. But these data files, like a JPEG, or a song, or a video, all those different file types, well, that's gonna be binary computer data. So if I tried to cat that cat out onto screen, <laughs> it's gonna be an absolute mess. 
It, it might even just tell me, hey, we don't want to view this because it's binary data. Uh, I'll use that with an absolute one. A lot of nonsense, yeah. right? <laughs> so we could do some other interesting things. We could try to determine any strings in there to only find maybe they snuck in some data amidst all those those binary computer values. Or we could try to look at the metadata. Like if this was a picture, what other information might be stored with that picture? Like are there GPS coordinates that were taken along with it? Or if it were kind of a song, like the example we mentioned earlier, uh, what's the track name or the artist or the album that that song was on? I'm gonna use EXIF tool, one thing to get EXIF data or the metadata out of a file. And I noticed something weird. Truthfully, this might just kind of come from my exposure, but if you look through here, you can see the file name, the file size, when it was kind of downloaded for us, type, etc. But there's a lot of nonsense in this license. And I'll be honest, maybe this kind of comes from some trained eye and experience and being just being familiar with this stuff. But this order of seemingly random letters, maybe an occasional number in there, it kind of bounces up and down. And this sticks out to me as base 64. So, oh, well, I mean, I don't know if everyone would have known that, but I think your, your previous knowledge gives you that. So uh, we can Google around. Uh, we can maybe learn what is base 64. I mean, I, I, John, if you don't mind, I'm going to ask you some questions in between. For now. sure. So skills that you would recommend someone get. I mean, I see you, you've, you've already mentioned Linux or Ubuntu. Would you recommend that someone really work on their Linux skills? Truthfully, I think Linux is is great for getting your getting your hands on the keyboard, right? Uh, understanding the command line, kind of knowing how to navigate around the file system, uh, being able to install tools as you need them with your, your package manager, the repositories. Uh, Linux is a hacker's operating system. It's a hacking distribution if you're using Kali or any of the other t fancy tools. Uh, you can get so much closer to the wire in, in Linux and using the command line. So I, I would absolutely recommend that. Um, for resources to do that, uh, Over the Wire is another exceptional and, and great war game. Uh, Bandit, one of their levels from Over the Wire is, is really good at piecing together what you can learn in the Linux command line and, and how to use some of these commands. So, I mean, that's a free CTF where you basically learn Linux, is that right? Yes. I mean, you've got all this knowledge and it shows. Um, it's like, how do we become you? Um, so Linux would be one of the first skills. Would you recommend a programming language as well? Yeah. Uh, the, the trajectory that I tend to give folks, uh, and maybe this is just pertinent to me, but I think uh, it, it's worked well for others that I've tried to teach and train, I think. Uh, learn Linux, number one. Over the wire, a kind of the web page I'm on right now, Bandit is a, is a great war game to kind of get started and to learn how to work through levels and connect in Linux. Then I would recommend folks get familiar with the scripting language. And this can be any language that you're interested in or one that you like. Personally, I use Python. Python is kind of yeah. just, it's my weapon of choice, right? That, that's my knee-jerk reaction. Uh, once you feel like you're 
at least familiar enough, familiar, familiar enough with Python, or maybe you're bored of it and just want to try something new, that's totally okay too. Uh, go play a capture the flag. Go play Pico CTF. Kind of get exposed and see what, what tasks or challenges are in front of you, and you'll learn so, so much. So, I mean, your, your two like introductory skills would be Linux, and then it would be Python, is that right? Start with those two. Um, anything else? That, I mean, are you just saying then go do CTFs and then the world opens up for you and then you, you're going to see where all your gaps are? In my opinion, that's that's the way. Uh, Linux and a scripting language of your choice, Python is a great recommendation. And uh, it's iterative. Again, if if you see something out there kind of experimenting with war games, whether it's Try Hack Me, whether it's Hack the Box or Pico CTF or any other Capture the Flag, you can always go back, learn something new in that language that you love, or try some new tricks inside Linux and in the command line. And that's great. I mean, so you use Ubuntu, and I don't want to turn this into a Linux thing, but I mean, if that's our first skill, um, would you recommend uh, like just Ubuntu, or would you recommend someone who starts to use like Kali or ParadoS or something else? So I use Ubuntu uh, because when I was learning Linux, when I was trying to make the transition, uh, kind of deciding whether I wanted to jump straight into running Linux as my full only operating system rather than Windows. Um, Ubuntu was the most recommended thing for the easiest beginner-friendly Linux distribution. Uh, it, it works out of the box. It has a lot of incredible support. The community is humongous, and it's just so easy. I'm sure there are some Linux heads and gurus that are like, oh, you, you have to run Arch Linux or you, yeah. you have to use Kali Linux if you're a I've heard a lot of those. Yeah, I've heard a yeah. lot of those. No, honestly, hey, you can install whatever tools you need. You can customize it however you want. It's open source. It's Linux. That's the whole point. So uh, I tend to use Ubuntu just because I like it and it works. And <laughs> that's good enough for me. So you install, you're running Ubuntu um, natively. On your on your laptop, as an example, and then would you run Kali in a virtual machine, or do you just like get clone and install the tools? Yeah, I'm a weirdo. I I tend no, to just not. install no, all not. my tools. <laughs> I I don't really use Kali all that often. I I don't use Parrot, which is another one. I I, I don't use um, Black Arch or some other renditions of penetration testing tools. And there's nothing wrong with them. To each their own, if, if you like yeah. to use those tools, you're more than welcome to. Uh, I tend to like, I don't know, pulling in things as I need them and then customizing and configuring them as I need to. So, so I mean, do you, uh, some other guys have said you should, pref it would be better to use a Mac or a, a Windows computer so that you can write reports and stuff. And I mean, you're giving a different view on that. So when you when you use Ubuntu, how do you write reports? Do you like use Word or do you have to use some open source um, like management, sorry, office application? How do you get around like the the business stuff like email and um, Word and stuff like that? Yeah, this is where I get really nerdy. Um, I, I tend to write reports when they're needed from me in Markdown, which is a kind of a plain text, like, hey, here you can structure and design things as you're naturally typing on the keyboard. Um, and Markdown can be translated into HTML or even LaTeX or LaTeX, L-A-T-E-X, to generate it into a PDF. So I tend to use, and, I, and I've showcased some videos on this, uh, I'll use Markdown to write, whether it's my notes, whether it's a full formal report, and I'll convert it into 
LaTeX and then have that generate a PDF document for me. So it looks gorgeous, it looks beautiful, and it's so much easier to write and just crank out than kind of fumbling around, moving my mouse and Microsoft Word and all that. So that's how I tend to do it. So I mean, is there an application that you'd recommend someone uses? Sorry to go on this tangent, but it's interesting. Is it like on Ubuntu, what application do you use to create that? So personally, for taking notes to further my learning or just to build out a library or reference and a catalog and archive, right, of everything that I'm learning, I like to use Obsidian. Um, Obsidian is a note-taking application, but it allows you to kind of reference and link to all of the other notes that you've already written out. And it'll even build some crazy cool mind map or like a graph view. And because it's all plain text, it is super fast to, hey, control F and, and search through all of your different pages. Like, oh, I need to remember how to bypass some filter evasion in, in, in SQL injection or whatever or whatever. Uh, you can link and do so, so much with it. And it's so simple and it's so great. I, I use Obsidian. I'm glad you mentioned this because I mean, when you're doing CTFs, I'm assuming that you're not going to remember every CTF and how you solved it. So would you like, dump knowledge into something like this? Yes. Uh, Whenever I am playing a capture the flag for real, like all my attention is on it or even just kind of cursory, even just, hey, let's go see what I can solve. Just kind of a casual thing. Uh, I'll try to organize and and capture every challenge that I work in in its own folder. Uh, And I'll mark it as complete or it won't have that suffix if if I haven't finished going through it yet. Uh, Every time I go through one, I will try and create like a little get flag script that just captures how I solved it. Uh, it's, it's like a write-up without being a write-up. It's like, hey, these are the commands that I ran. This was the code that I used. This was the real process technically as to how this challenge was solved. Sometimes they aren't all that. Sometimes I'll just literally leave myself some notes like here's a dummy solution file. <laughs> and that's at least the bare minimum I can do while I'm cruising through and running as I'm playing a capture the flag. Oftentimes I do something more formal. I'll write a readme and mark down. I'll, it'll be organized in Obsidian. But if you're moving quick, I think this is still absolutely necessary. Keeping track of a solution, keeping track of the flag itself, or a little get flag script to keep encapsulate how you solved it. So, I mean, while you're doing that, you're creating these local text files and then do you upload them to Obsidian at some point or you just use both systems? Yeah. Um, Sorry, just trying to get into your mind, John, because you've you've been doing this for a long time. So I'm trying to like extract your your tips and tricks, if you like. How do we become like you? And, you know, how can we not make all the mistakes you've made over the last number of years? This is just an example of, of my notes or yeah. kind of how I put things together when it's in Obsidian. Uh, I could show you reports or I could show you something more formal if, if need be. If, if you don't mind. I mean, it'd be great yeah. to see it. But I mean, we, I mean if, if, if it's going to take too long, we can see it later. But it'd be great to see, you know, for us to try and get your knowledge, you know, any tips like this is great. Yeah. I, I try to, even when I'm going through a course, like you, you can see this is a working through a zero to auto uh, malware analysis course. Uh, I'll try and create, like essentially reformat whatever slides they showcase 
or whatever text they cover in, in their book, I'll, I'll make it my own. Even if it's <laughs> powering through just rewriting and hand jamming it, uh, I'll, I'll try and make my own copy of it so I can get fully invested and fully into everything that I'm trying to learn. And it, it eventually starts to be built out as kind of a library because then I can always click back to or refer back to anything particularly interesting. And uh, that is a, is a great reference. So, I mean, John, that's great. I mean, so basically the takeaway there is don't just go through it and then forget what you've done. Um, you've got a searchable database, basically, of your knowledge and your experience that you, you can refer to back later. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, you will run into a problem and then later down... <laughs> That later down the road in the future, you will see that problem pop up again, or you'll see something similar to it, or you'll see maybe uh, just a different variation with a slight spin on it. Uh, so building out your own library is is absolutely imperative. I think it's, it's really great, and it's something you can always, always call back to. And dive through your notes. You have your own checklist. You have your own repertoire. That is uh, something super valuable. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, I mean, just like thinking out of the box, I mean, you you going through these CTFs, you're going to see a problem. In the real world, you might, like you said, see something similar. It might trigger something in your mind. Hold on, I've seen this before. And then you can, ref like, can do searches um, um, on your notes. I mean, Evernote, and there's a bunch of these note-taking applications out there. I mean, it's, it's fantastic to put your brain into something where you can search the notes later tr rather than trying to remember everything. Absolutely. So, I mean, sorry, John, I took you off your uh, CTF. So you said there was something like, uh, something weird about the license on that oh, uh, file. yeah. Here, I will um, bring that all back. Sorry. No, no, you don't, you don't need to apologize. So, so John, explain, you, you were going to show us like Base64, what is that? And um, how did you, how does it, like this is, if this is, like you said earlier, if this is for s school kids, if you like, I mean, that's quite a, quite a, not, not, not something that they may necessarily recognize. Yeah. Uh, I think there will eventually, you, you'll see things and you'll, you'll become familiar with some things that are common uh, and they, they pop up every now and again, like, oh, you'll, you'll see a Caesar cipher as a bare bones, very classic, very cookie cutter, capture the flag trick. Uh, you'll see base 64, or you'll see other representations of data like base 32 or base 58. It, it, it goes on and on. Uh, but they are kind of quirky gimmicks, but they are really used in the real world. Like base 64 is an encoding scheme that will take any kind of data, even like those binary values that we saw out of that JPEG file, and it'll try and represent them in printable characters, like those letters a through Z and zero through nine. Base 64 uses all those letters of the alphabet, uppercase and lowercase, the numbers here, and just a plus sign, a forward slash, and it adds in equals at the very end for padding. So one rule of base 64 you can kind of become familiar with is that the encoded data always has to have a multiple of four for its length. So if it encoded something to maybe five characters long, oh, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll try and do some padding to make it eight. Uh, it, it has to be a multiple of four. So if you see equal signs at the very end of some random letters and numbers, hey, that's maybe a good telltale. This is potentially base 64. In this case, it wasn't. 
So we're kind of working on a hunch. But one thing that we learned from Capture the Flag is we need to try everything. Like every idea that comes into our head, every single thing that we think of, it's worth checking under that rock just to see. Because after a competition or when write-ups or other solutions are available, if you see someone that solved it and you think, oh, man, I thought of that. I, I just didn't even try it. <laughs> you should try it. Everything that comes to your mind, it's worth exploring. I just wanted to say something. I watched one of your videos. You were, I think it was a VB script or uh, uh, you were doing some malware analysis and yeah. you, you were saying they were obfuscating the code with, um, I can't remember exactly. But I mean, to me, the, the takeaway here is we're doing a so-called basic CTF and you've already, that kind of way of thinking and looking at code seems to be applicable to the real world. Is, is that right? Yeah. At the, when you drill it down to the core, there is still curiosity and the inquisitive mind and kind of that problem-solving attitude. Those are really instilled in you for Capture the Flag and War Games and all of this. I know in the moment, sometimes it sucks. Like you're, you're banging your head against the wall. You have this problem in front of you and you, you can't solve it. <laughs> You've been beating yourself up for a day or a week, but you still, you can't sleep. You're thinking about it. You're obsessed with this problem. <laughs> and you, I don't know, it, it, it builds in that grit and determination and stubbornness to let's think about this. Let's try and solve this problem. Let's, let's be curious as to how it does what it does. Um, those are all things you'll definitely get in Capture the Flag. I was going to say, it's, it seems to be this is stuff that's applicable to your real job. It's like you said right in, in another video, I think. Um, it's not just games. It's, it's actually teaching you a lot of skills that are relevant for what you're doing. Because you're doing like hardcore malware analysis. And this stuff seems to be already pointing us to that. Yeah. The, there are tidbits that you'll see just about everywhere. It all kind of bleeds into each other. So I'm going to shut up now. You, you continue. <laughs> show, us the, show us how you solve this. Sure. So this one is taking that weird string that we saw from that EXIF tool and piping it into some Base64 decoder. Because this is the encoded form, but that operation is kind of reversible. So we could decode that with Base64 and that command line argument, tack D. Those are some of the options or parameters you might learn as you get more familiar with the Linux command line. But when we decode this, oh, <laughs> here's a Base64, the metadata is modified. And that's another simple challenge, that flag that we can go ahead and submit and get some points. So the takeaway there is to look for weirdness, is that right? So look for stuff that's out of place. Yes, and and that is, is absolutely crucial just as much. Um, in a capture the flag, and this kind of has its own difference than bug bounty, or its own implications for penetration testing and some other real world aspects to it. You know, with Capture the Flag, that something is vulnerable. There is something that has a flaw. There's something that can be kind of peeled away and picked at. Uh, that's different than the real world, right? You could be beating up a target if you're doing an actual pen test and maybe you get nothing. <laughs> you don't know if it's really vulnerable or if you try and bug bounty and man, you don't get anything. In Capture the Flag, it is a change of mindset and that if something weird is there, it's 
probably there for a reason. So yeah. maybe that's a tip to, uh, to help dig into things.